chapter 6 and verses 1 to 10. Galatians 6, 1 to 10. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. God will bless to our hearts the reading of his word. Now, remaining seated, let's use a song as a prayer. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Of the Salvation Army, was General William Booth. And on one occasion, due to ill health, he was not able to attend their international convention. So instead, he cabled to the delegates a message containing just one word. And that one word was others, others. Now, a very real evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives it's a right attitude to others, especially others who believe. And this is very clear in Galatians 6. For having spoken in Galatians 5, which we were in the last time I was here, about the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, Paul speaks in chapter 6 about its practical outworking. He tells us in chapter 6 that we're to have a right attitude to those who fall into sin, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should bash him. No, it doesn't say that. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. A right attitude to those who fall into sin. And we're to have a right attitude to those with burdens. Verse 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, a Christian person, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. I've gone back a verse, haven't I? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And we're also to have a right attitude to those who teach God's word, verse 6. Anyone who receives instruction in the word, must share all good things with his instructor. So you to look after, as you do, the person who preaches God's word to you. Now today, 
as you may have anticipated from what I've said earlier in the service, service, we're going to look at the second of these. We're going to look at this matter of carrying each other's burdens. And this, of course, is one of a group of commands in Scripture which urge believers to think of other people in the church family. Love each other, it says in John 15, 12. And that more than 12 times we're told that. Love each other, love one another. A new commandment I give to you, said Jesus, you love each other as I have loved you. And we're to pray for each other, James 5, 16. We're to encourage each other, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. We're to honor each other above yourselves, says Paul in Romans 12, 10. And we're to offer hospitality to each other without grumbling, 1 Peter 4, verse 9. And there are many other similar commands. You could do a long series. And each of these commands, one another's or each other's of the Scripture. But as I said, we're looking at this one in Galatians 6 2. Carry each other's burdens. A spirit filled believer cares for the rest of the Christian family and ministers to them in their need. He or she never draws back from people's problems and asks, as Cain did, Am I my brother's keeper? This person knows that he has a family responsibility. And verse 1, I think, is key because it starts, brothers, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. And that word brothers, it's a family word, brothers, sisters, that word brothers is the basis of Galatians 6 verse 2, the fact that we're brothers and sisters. You may remember if you had a little brother that you were going somewhere and your parents said, look after your brother. And it was that family word that put responsibility on, look after your brother. There were lots of other children there, but you were told to look after your brother. And the Holy said an old song, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. Whatever the weight that I'm bearing for him, he's my brother. So as we think about this, I want you to notice, first of all, an assumption to be noted. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The mention of burdens, and we can remind ourselves here that we all have burdens. Just as your temptations are not unique, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation come to you, but such as is common to man. Someone somewhere is in the same temptation. Just as your temptations are not unique, your burdens are not unique. There's not one person, I don't think, who isn't carrying some burden. And it's possibly heavier than your burden, though you don't know that. So don't ever be too self-pitying. We all have burdens. And secondly, we're not meant to carry these burdens alone. Now, some people try to. They think it's a sign of fortitude not to bother other people with their burdens. Well, such fortitude is certainly brave, but it's more stoical than Christian. And then there's other people who remind us of Psalm 55, 2, or Matthew 11, 28, Psalm 55, 2, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Matthew 11, 20, come to me, you are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest, said Jesus. And they therefore argue that we have a divine burden bearer, someone who is quite 
adequate, and therefore surely it's a sign of weakness to ask for any human help. Well, that too is a mistake. Now, certainly, Jesus alone can bear the burden of our sin and guilt. He bore it in his own body on the tree when he died for us. And all who look to him and trust in him are free from condemnation. And so I have to ask you, have you looked to Jesus? Have you beheld the Lamb of God who takes away your sin? Have you beheld him? Have you looked to him as your Lamb who takes away your sin? If not, look to the Lord and you will be saved. However, so far as other burdens are concerned, our worries, temptations, doubts, sorrows, whatever, although we can cast them on the Lord as well, as Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Yes, we can cast them on the Lord as well, but we have to realize that one of the ways the Lord bears them is through human friendship. Now, Paul at one stage in his life was terribly burdened. He was worried about the Corinthian church, and in particular, their reaction, what it would be to a, a, a rather severe letter that he had to send to him. And his mind couldn't rest. So great was his suspense. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so God's comfort wasn't given to Paul through his private prayer and his private waiting upon God. It was given through the companionship of a friend and through the good news that this friend brought. So we should not keep our burdens to ourselves. We should share them. Sometimes with an individual friend or in matters where it's appropriate, we may sometimes share our burdens with the whole fellowship. Of course, there's some burdens that shouldn't be shared too widely. Caution is needed there. But uh, this, this sharing and the, the point of departure, as I've said, is helping a brother who has fallen into sin. And certainly discretion is needed in relation to that. So assumption to be noted that there are burdens, and we all at some time have burdens to bear. But then it speaks of ministry to be exercised. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So it's not just a matter of tolerating each other. It's not just a matter of putting up with each other. Nor is it just a matter of being concerned for each other. It is rather an active taking upon yourself of the cares of others. It is a putting of your shoulders, your own shoulder, under the burden of others, and thus lightening the weight for them. So who is to do this? Well, it's very clear, carry each other's burdens. That's all Christian people. In his book, You Can Be a People Helper, Gary Collins says the most capable people to help people with their problems are their peers, their fellows, their equals. Usually, people will listen to their peers. Sometimes, when you're at the same stage of life in the same profession, you can talk to someone in a unique way. Men can talk sometimes freely to men, ladies to ladies. And God sometimes gives people a concern for a particular group. Someone just, a burden comes on them to, to serve a particular group of people. Sometimes they may come to you for help, and it's you to enable them 
and uh, send them out if they, uh, there is a growing concern for a particular group of people. Uh, I remember in Perth, someone with a, bur a burden for young girls who, who were pregnant in the Hope Pregnancy Centre open with the enabling of local fellowships and people who encouraged someone with their burden. Or sometimes gives you, God gives you a particular burden for people experiencing specific things. And maybe you have that burden because you yourself have experienced the same thing. And so you're probably especially equipped to help that person. And so there are people around you whose faces are lined with tension. There are people who don't smile anymore. You can help them. And it seems that the verse doesn't say ministers carry everybody's burdens. It says carry each other's burdens. Such a view of ministry is unhelpful to the church of Christ, unhelpful because it's mistaken. You know, when I was a youngster, there was a perception of the, the minister. He was the church visitor. He was measured by the number of visits he made. It's a different society. Now you have to be very careful in relation to homes. But that was the way it was. But as you look at the scripture, you discover that, you know, pure religion in the AV and undefiled before God and the Father says to visit the fathers and the widows. It's a ministry that all God's people are to be involved in. I want to remember that. I've always seen certainly ever since I was ordained here in the 70s by Jim McLean. And I always believed Acts 6-4, my place was to give myself to prayer and the ministry of the word. In terms of Ephesians 4-11-12, I saw myself as pastor-teacher. And uh, that was very important. That pastor's been key to my life. It was he, it says, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor-teachers. Some to say pastors and teachers. I see it as one role. Some to be pastor-teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. Your minister preaches the word with a view to preparing you for works of service. And... Uh, God's people are involved in these services, building up the body of Christ, helping the church to unity, helping the church to stability, being part of the body of Christ, functioning in the area of the body where you're placed. The church of Jesus can be crippled by the error of thinking that the pastor should nourish all the parts of the body and take care of all its aches, all its pains. We're all to be involved. It's a mistaken view and it's futile. You know, a constant frustration to me over my years in ministry has been seeing so many needs to be met, which I couldn't meet because I was already fully stretched. And the people who need help will only be helped when we get into the act. And it's senseless too. If, if you're aware of a need, then you obviously know the person and the background. So if you go to the minister, and say to him, well, there's this person I want you to, you know, the minister's then got to start from the beginning and find out what's happened in the person's life. Many, many hours. You're already there. You already know what's happening. So how much more are you ready and equipped to minister there? Now, of course, if you, if you can't, if you feel you 
you can't help, it's beyond you, then we who are ministers are always happy to help, as, as Graham would be. Uh, but, it says, carry each other's burdens. And if we don't, it can be damaging. You know, if we don't get exercise, we get stiff and out of condition. I was speaking last week at a midweek meeting, I think it was Smithton 3 or something, it was a lunchtime meeting, and I was speaking, and then this lady came in, and we're all doing our exercises. And we did our fingers and all this, and it was recognized, it was an eating for, for older people, that that exercise was, uh, was good for you, because we can get stiff and out of condition. We won't develop as we should. And to see burden bearing as a work of one person is damaging to the church. And you see, when you're involved, not only do you help others, you help yourself. Isn't it amazing how some people can have all these concerns and are looking at themselves and their problems all the time? Begin to serve, and somehow uh, that goes. I heard about three men in the Arctic caught in a horrific storm. And one said to the others, we'll have to all go our own way. But the other said, no, I think we should. He said, no, I'm going my own way. And the one guy stayed with the other, and they put the arms around each other, and they helped each other along. And strangely enough, the warmth of the temperature of their bodies together sort of kept them alive. The other guy, sadly, he died. But they saved each other by helping each other. Heat was generated. And don't ever feel that you have to have all your problems solved before you start helping others. You take that attitude, you never help anybody. And people have often, as I've said, found their own problems relieved in involving themselves with other people's. It stops you brooding over your own. So is your home a place where people with problems would feel at home? Is it more like a castle with a drawbridge up? Or is it a place of warmth and love where burdened people can find rest and support? So the people who are to do this are all God's people. How is it to be done? Uh, I can move on a bit here in the screen. How is it to be done? It's to be done with an alert disposition. We have to have an alertness to things that are happening to others that could be burdensome. Are you a person who is alert to what's going on around you? Alert to signs of pressure you see in people, a bit of strain in their faces, signs perhaps of uh, alert to unusual actions, which can be signs of preoccupation with a burden. You, someone snaps at you, you can be carnal, you can react. Or you can spirit, be spiritual and see it perhaps as appointed to a burden. Or alert to significant absences from church. Someone who's always there is suddenly not there. Or someone is neglecting responsibilities. And it's not something that they've ever done before. Previously they've been conscientious. It means there's probably something going on. So don't be critical. Get alongside. Or sort of noticing someone sort of lingering after a service. So we're to look up to God in worship as we come together. We're also to look around us, see what's happening around us. And I say to all of you, as I've said over the years, as I've preached, choose your seat carefully with a view to relieving burdens, especially of those who don't yet know Jesus. Avoid 
always being with your own little group. Now, it was something that annoyed me in church life, that I would see this group always talking together. I would notice people at the door, people maybe just come for first time, and there's this group, and it could be a number of these groups, shared interests or whatever, or you just relate to them better. You need to consciously break yourself out of these groups, so don't, don't to head towards the people you're comfortable with or the people with whom you find it easy to talk. You've got to think beyond that. So don't huddle with your own group. Reach out to others. Be alert to the burdened. So think of some people. Pray for him. Pray about their burdens. Ask God what he wants you to do. Do so with an alert disposition and also with a caring approach. Not blasting yourself into people's lives like a great emancipator, but loving yourself in as a fellow believer. Caring, not hurrying. So many of us are always in a hurry. You ask someone, how are you? And really you just want a quick response. Is well actually I'm not, oh no, how did I get here today? And someone says they're fine, that could mean feeling in need of encouragement, couldn't it? So we've got to just actually listen. We ask someone how they are, not just a sort of form, something we do on Sunday, but to actually listen to people. And we're to serve also with a wise reticence, swift to hear, slow to speak. We're to listen. It's the first thing a person says to you might not relate to the real problem. They might be just feeling their way with you. You can dive in with an answer to a question nobody's asking. A lot of time is spent people maybe just listening. And there's two questions that I've always asked. I think we should ask as believers uh, when we're involved in this ministry. They're sharing a problem with, what have you done with your problem? It's a good question to ask. What have you done with your problem? Maybe there's things a person could do and have done it. And then secondly, what can I do about it? Ask them what they expect of you. It's a good launch off. And do it with a scriptural perspective. That's a, for instance, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Scripture, the power of Scripture. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Use the Scriptures. They're profitable for teaching. The Scriptures show us God's standard for life. The Scriptures are profitable for rebuking. And so we compare our position to God's standard and that exposes where we fall short, showing us we're in the wrong. We often tend to justify our sins. Scripture rebukes us. And then it corrects us. It provides solutions to life's problem. So if God knocks us flat in the rebuke, he, he picks us up in the correcting. And the word is profitable for training in righteousness. It disciplines us and guides us to pursue a new way of life and wash away the old the old ways. So we're to bear each other's burdens with a scriptural perspective. People will come to you today they want you to bear their burdens without a scriptural perspective. 
They want to be endorsed in a path of sin in a way that's contrary to God's word. And over my life, I've so often said, look, I can't help you here because the standard I'm sharing with you is God's word. And if you're not interested in following that standard, I, I can't help you. You need to go somewhere else because I am a minister of the word of God. And our aim then in the burden bearing is the application of the word of God, the sword of the spirit, not bashing people with texts, but applying the word. And sometimes we can work out a strategy from scripture for problems and how we can help. The first response should be prayer, then action in response to the word of God. And remember, God has given everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. He's given us this provision by giving us his word. So knowing the Bible is essential. Though we don't know all the answers, uh, we can know the scriptures. And there's more than the human mind can absorb there. Sometimes we worry about what we don't know and fail to put into practice what we do know. And often when I hear people criticizing the way someone does something, I'll say, well, I like the way they do it better than the way you don't do it. And you may be being in that situation, you've criticized someone, at least they're doing it, they're trying. So I like the way they're doing it better than the way you don't do it. And do it with a helpful willingness. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, some people might know how to help, but not have the willingness to help. Some people might be willing to talk, but not willing to actively help. But the person sharing the burden must be ready to help practically. A caring church is a very, very beautiful thing indeed. Carry each other's burdens. Your minister faithfully preaches God's word. You can feel it when you come in here. It's good to come among you and feel the presence of God and know that God's word has its place. You can tell that by the response in a church. You can feel an awful lot of what, what's going on when you go into a church. And I praise God for what he's doing for you and what he continues to do through the ministry of Graham and Susan, whom you look forward to coming back refreshed, ready to serve, encourage them and to encourage them by bearing each other's burdens and knowing he's knowing that he's part of a team involved with you as you seek to uh, serve the Lord in Elgin. So the assumption is of this verse that we all have burdens and we're not meant to carry these alone. We're all to be involved in this ministry, involved with an alertness, caring approach, with wisdom, scriptural perspective, and a helpful willingness. Just before we finish, there's one or two more things said in these verses about burden, burden bearing. It says in verse 2 also that burden bearing is the fulfillment of the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the essence of the law of Christ it's love. James 2, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. So you're doing right. To love one another as Christ loved us may lead not to some spectacular deed of sacrifice, but to the more mundane and unspectacular work of burden bearing. And burden bearing requires a true view of yourself, first. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So burden-bearing, on the one hand, is hindered by pride, hindered by conceit. If you get an inflated opinion about yourself, 
you're not going to get involved, nor are you the sort of person who's really going to be able to help people. It's hindered by pride. It's helped by humility. That's what makes you a good burden bearer. The realization that you yourself amount to so little. That's why the person who's restoring people in verse 1, you know, does it gently. He's aware that this could be me. This brother is falling into sin. This could be me next time. I'm not any better than him. He's just been overtaken. This fault has come into his life and it could come into my. We don't know the circumstances and we're aware that we're in the level. We're humble. If you have this humble realization about yourself, you'll be tender, you'll be generous, you'll be meek, you'll be sympathetic, you'll be helpful. And then thirdly, burden bearing doesn't cancel personal responsibility. It goes on in verse 45, each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For, it says, each one should carry his own load. Interesting. The folly of trying to derive comfort by comparing yourself with someone else is obvious. And it says, each one is to carry his own load. The word in verse 2 means a weight. The emphasis is on the heaviness of the burden. It's burdensomeness. The word in verse 5 means the burden itself, the actual load. And it speaks of the fact that the person being helped must bear the responsibility of his burden. When a person's burden is too heavy, the burden bearer has the responsibility to lighten the load. But we don't take the burden from the person. That's his responsibility. Every person has to shoulder his personal load of responsibility. And let's remember, especially as we come a little while to celebrate communion, we're accountable to God for our sin. God requires what's past. Either you're punished for your sin or you accept Jesus as your substitute. You can be lost forever or your sin is punished on him at the cross. The greatest burden is the burden of guilt and sin. And only one person can help you with that. The great burden bearer, Jesus himself. And he offers himself to us to bear away our sin. If you bear the everyday burdens of others, you must be first be rid of your own great burden of sin. Paul assumes his hearers are so rid. Are we come to that point? If so, then we're ready to celebrate communion. I love the picture of Christian and Pilgrim's progress when he comes to the cross and his burden rolls away. John Moore, pastor who was in Inverness for a while, was his assistant further back, he wrote a song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He bore your burden on his body on the tree. And we're going to give thanks in a few moments as we celebrate communion. Before we do, we're going to think about the Father's love for us, singing that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. <laughs>